electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. I'll be one of my friends that was trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach. So call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Now, if you panic in the teeth of last week's sell-off... <laughs> And ran for the exits. Sell, 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 sell. Well, you got to be kicking yourself right now. Dow surging 492 points. S&P jumping 2.07%. NASDAQ pulling 3.03%. But there are no do-overs in this racket, people, which is why it's so important to get things right the first time. I often say that panic is not a strategy. And the past couple of weeks have been a perfect example of that. You would have done much better if he had stayed calm and sat tight, which has been the case for so often, most our entire lives. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to walk through this so you never forget it. A coroner's bear inquest, because I don't want anyone making this mistake again who watches Mad Money. It all goes back to the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, okay? That's when we learned of the Omicron variant, although it hadn't been named yet. Just some new strain out of South Africa. Suddenly, journalists were speculating about all the new restrictions that we get hit with as governments around the world steal themselves to take action. Now, I can't blame anyone for being frightened when the market opened on Friday morning. You had a full day of rumination with your family over Turkey, a family you might not have seen over a year. The, festiv- the time we, I don't know about you, but this time we began the festivities with a round of Abbott Labs Binex Now. Hey, that's become the kind of a, I don't know, an appetizer. Uh, you had to get tested, right? Fortunately, everyone was negative. But as I pondered by late mother's stream bean casserole, you know, the ones with the canned L&O onion rings, I thought, holy cow, what if my trusty Binex now never leave home without it? Can't catch the new variant. What if they don't work? Don't worry, it turns out they do. Meanwhile, countries everywhere instantly closed their borders because the politicians never stopped fighting the last war. Of course, it seemed logical given that 10% of the 600 passengers who had traveled from South Africa to the Netherlands the day before had COVID, with presumably the majority having the new strain, right? Because it spreads much faster. Pretty logical. Always in the background, a steady drumbeat. Lockdown, 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 lockdown. 
That lately played out over and over as the market drew to its, op- to its open the day after Thanksgiving. OK, now we're talking about here. Now, I called in from home saying that you can't panic and sell into this maelstrom and you have to take a lockdown off the table. They're not coming back. Still was a holiday session, one with few players, and there was havoc all over the place. The worst being the oil pits. Oil had become it had been so strong that even an actual release of crude from the strategic petroleum reserve by President Biden meant nothing. But then oil met the Omicron strain and it was like the Saudis decided to flood the world with petrol. Of course, the markets took this crash as an arbinger of what was going to come in stocks, and it was plain ugly. Dow closed down 900 points. S&P shed more than 2%. Over that weekend, though, we didn't hear any new bad news. We all kept waiting for it, right? Remember? Well, we knew there had to be a new outbreak. We knew it was coming here, right? Perhaps we had to wait until we got them, uh, got here before we, you could buy anything. But sell? Again, without more reports of rampant outbreaks and a spike in deaths, selling made no sense. Remember, this is the acceptable risk moment, people. Oh, and we all learned that the new strain was called Omicron, which was particularly disturbing. It sounded like a second-rate Michael Crichton knockoff. His stuff still holds up. Right then, we should have had a tell that maybe things weren't as bad as the media and the World Health Organization was making them out to be. The WHO doesn't want to get its pants caught down again, but apparently... They overcorrected. I knew I felt much better after listening to CBC's own Meg Terrell interview Pfizer CEO Albert Borla and Moderna CEO Stefan Bansell, both of whom sounded pretty sanguine about the new strain. I even asked Meg on the 9 o'clock show whether I was right to think that both gentlemen, whom I think are shoe-in for Times Persons of the Year, sounded pretty upbeat. I, I, I felt great. We all went home thinking good thoughts. Dow rallied 236 points far short of what it lost the previous session, but still certainly a positive. Of course, that was shattered last Tuesday when we read an interview in the night before that uh, Stefan Bensell from Moderna had given the Financial Times. It sounded like a wholesale repudiation of what he had just told Meg. Speaking of his own vaccine, Bansell, and I quote, said, there is no world, I think, where it could be as the same level of effectiveness we have with Delta, end quote. Then he talked about a, quote, material drop, end quote, in effectiveness, capping it all off by noting that all the scientists he talked to had told him, quote, this is not going to be good, end quote. Well, I mean, you want to see what happens when you have a most important person other than Borla in this whole thing? The guy who's got it right. What happens when he changes his mind? Well, you get you go from here. That's the positive band cell to here, the negative one. That interview crushed the entire stock market the next day. Who knew more about the, the, than the CEO of Moderna, right? We tried to rally, but we just couldn't get any traction. We, we didn't have any other news about, about Omicron. We had to rely on what Bansell had to say. That allowed for, for Wednesday, though, because nothing new again happened, to have a decent day. Not great, not bad. Uh, but it all unraveled Thursday when we heard that Apple was calling suppliers, telling them that they don't need more products. Sales were weak. We don't want any more product. We have way too many phones. That was the narrative. Now, I went on air to say that was just inconceivable. Apple doesn't do that. They don't. And even if they did, their suppliers wouldn't talk about it. Same time, though, we were beginning to get a different feeling about Omicron. No one in the media wanted to say it point blank, but we started to suspect that even if this strain was very infectious, it might be a lot less severe than Delta, especially if you're vaccinated. Now, fast forward to today. What have we learned here? Well, first, it turns out that, yes, Omicron's not going to redestroy the Western world. It's not the Delta variant 2.0. The fact that it's supplanting the Delta variant as the dominant strain may actually be a very good thing. Because getting Omicron is more like getting a vaccine than getting COVID. 
And that's good news. Oh, we also learned that Apple didn't call its suppliers to roll back its orders. According to Katie Uberty, the Morgan Stanley analyst, who is what we call the Axon Apple, meaning the woman who has the best understanding of the stock and the most power, business is booming. And that's why she raised her price target from 164 to a sounding 200. If you took your cue from last week's panic, you would have sold your Apple down $157, off about 4% at the time, nearly 8% below where it closed tonight. If you simply held it, remember, if you owned Apple and didn't trade it, you'd have a nice two-week run to an all-time high of 171. It's trading further up after the close. Now, there's, that is the reason why I say I don't want you trading Apple. You know, let's talk about it after the close and why it's still going up. See, we got a report from a Japanese news outlet that Apple can't get enough supplies to meet demand. That's right. But instead of saying, hey, listen, we have too many supplies. Now they're begging for supplies. You know what? Live by the sword, die by the sword. I take that story with a grain of salt, too. Supplier stories aren't to be trusted. But Morgan Stanley's Uberty is. Now, looking back, it's hard to believe that no one really seemed to consider the possibility that the Omicron strain might not be that severe. The authorities sure made it sound like the worst case scenario uh, was the only scenario. So did Stefan Bansell, a man whom we come to trust. He really annihilated the stock market. And I know he didn't mean to. But so far, it's been much better than feared. And it's certainly hard to believe Apple could have fallen 4% in a single session, taking down the whole tech edifice, especially its suppliers, all of which caught fire today when people realized that the story wasn't true. Why are these such good examples of panic? Because if you did nothing until you learned more, you may not look abandoned. If you shot first and asked questions later, you did terribly. It's a textbook example of why panic is not a strategy, unless you're deliberately trying to lose money. And I want you to use it as a reminder that most of the time, it pays to wait for cooler heads to prevail, rather than freaking out in a situation where everyone else is freaking out and lost their heads without complete information. The bottom line, look, it would have been great if you had bought stock somewhere near the lows. That's what I urge you to do, actually, even if you had to hold your nose, because we were simply too oversold. I was relying on technicals. But the cardinal sin here was selling stocks out of fear rather than sitting tight out of rationality. A lesson I hope to convey when our investing club meets for the first time this Thursday in a special call on how to prosper in 2022. I want you on it. Anthony in Florida. Anthony. Jim, Professor Kramer, want a big Give you a big booyah from South Florida. Thank you for all you do for us home gamers. I have a quick question. It's on Dick Sporting Goods, DKS. Sure. I got in in July when it was at 102. They reported earnings on August 25th, my anniversary, by the way. It hit 146 on September 1st, but the next day started to decline. It rallied to 142 before Black Friday, but today it closed at 108. With the uncertainty of Omicron looming before Christmas, Jim, is Dix a buy, hold, or sell? I got to tell, tell you, Anthony, first of all, thank you for those kind comments. I was on that conference call with Lauren Hoover. I thought, the, I thought it was a great quarter. By the way, I said the same thing about Williams-Sonoma. These were both great quarters, and the market is wrong. The, the companies are doing great, and I think that Dix right here is a buy tomorrow morning. All right, it would have been just terrific. Have you done some buying near the lows? But the real sin was selling stocks down out of fear. I can't ask you for to buy the bottom, but I got to try to teach you not to sell the bottom. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, the NLRB ruled today that ballots can be tallied in a vote to unionize three Starbucks locations in Buffalo. So I'm going straight to the source and getting the latest on today's headlines from the company's CEO. Then Ford is cruising into the cloud. 
After announcing a new subscription software collaboration with Salesforce earlier today, I'm talking the latest in cloud and auto innovation with the heads of both companies. And Sentinel One just blew the doors off the quarter. It, it, it's the second quarter since public company, and man, was it good. I'm seeing if the stock could be the one that you want with the company's top brass. Don't forget, there's a big up lockup expiration. Don't get too excited. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Last week, we learned about the Omicron strain and the whole market got obliterated. Wall Street freaked out about a pandemic and just slow down, maybe in the lockdown. But with each passing day, we got more and more encouraging news. The new variant may be extremely contagious, but so far it seems a lot less severe than Delta. Suddenly, all sorts of reopening plays have come roaring back, including Starbucks, which caught a terrific upgrade from MKM Partners this morning. I'm very confident their business will benefit as the world goes back to normal. But Starbucks has a huge Chinese business. They also have to contend with rising raw costs and, most importantly, perhaps in this case, an extremely tight labor market. That includes a unionization drive by some of their employees, not all, but some in a couple of stores in Buffalo. If retailers and restaurants need to worry about organized labor pushing up wages, that's a tough dynamic for employers. And this may be a watershed moment. So let's check in with Kevin Johnson, the president and CEO of Starbucks, get a better read on the situation. Mr. Johnson, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, thanks for having me. It's good to see you. Great to see you, Kevin. Now, I've got to tell you, uh, this 
Today, you got a decision that was handed down by the United States of America National Labor Relations Board, or known as the NLRB, which says said basically you can't stop this election, Kevin. It, it, it's just too hard. The, the rules are such that you have to let this go forward. So it goes forward and you lose. What happens? Well, Jim, we respect the process uh, that we're going through. And, you know, independent of any outcome, we're going to continue to focus on putting our Starbucks partners first. And we'll work through this. You know, but I think about this. You know, you look back at what we've been through over the last two years, not just Starbucks, but all of us. You know, this pandemic uh, that we've all navigated has been something that I think is changing all of society. You know, I look back to March of 2020, and you recall this. When we had to shut down all of our stores with the exception of drive-throughs, what did we do? We made a decision to put people over profit. And we paid all of our partners, whether they came to work or not, at a time when there were 30 million Americans who were laid off, furloughed, and out of work. And that model has served us well. You know, you think about it. We in, we, we've adapted store protocols, and when consumer mobility in, you know, started to increase, our Green Apron partners were there and they rose to the occasion and that drove a faster recovery for Starbucks than, than others had seen. Well, today we know how to operate in a pandemic. We know how to adapt our store protocols. We know how to adapt to everything that, that, that happens related to the pandemic. But I think this is a point in time where we have to acknowledge that COVID has changed everything. You think about it, 5 million Americans who have not reentered the workforce, Inflation is going up and putting financial pressure on families across the country. You know, there's divisiveness over things like masks and vaccines. There's social unrest over racial injustice and inequality. And so this is an opportunity for Starbucks to rise above those social issues and demonstrate what our mission and values have always stood for, which is using our scale for good. Okay, now, you know, I think that's the case. And I've supported Starbucks through thick and thin from the day it came public. Uh, but I know that when employees want to unionize, they have a fundamental view that things aren't the way they should be, even at a great company like Starbucks, which happens to offer far better benefits than any of the other publicly traded companies I follow, other than perhaps Costco. So what can you do more than you're doing in uh, if you were to meet with them and say, you know what, I know you got this vote on Thursday. Uh, one more shot. Let me tell you uh, why we think this is a good deal and that things won't go as well at the company if the company were unionized. Well, you know, look, Jim, first of all, we always put our partners first. And what our partners have told us is that, look, customer demand is, is strong right now. So increasing staffing, you know, wage, wage is important and, and training is important and hours that they need to get are important. You look at what we've done. You know, we, we just announced, uh, you know, a billion dollar incremental investment in wage and training and hours for our partners. Uh, you look at, uh, in addition to that, you know, certainly we, you know, we're addressing areas of inflation. We've increased recruiting in, in, our, in our field and, uh, and we're overcoming these challenges. Now, these are challenges that every business has faced. And, you know, clearly the partner first model, partner centric model that, that Starbucks has always had has served us well. It's allowed us to be agile. Now we have three stores in Buffalo that have filed, uh, you know, to, to a petition right. to, to vote on a union, three individual bargaining units. Now you think of Buffalo. Buffalo is a community of 20 Starbucks stores. And uh, our Green Apron partners in, in Starbucks stores, they often trade shifts and get additional hours uh, in stores outside of their home store. In fact, 45% of our partners in Buffalo 
have traded shifts and, and, and worked in other stores throughout that community. And so all we're asking is that all partners in that community have a voice. And you know, I recognize that may not, uh, that may not be the case, but we respect the process and we're gonna navigate through this by, by staying true to our mission values and just operating as one Starbucks. And this is three stores you know, out of 9,000 stores. We're gonna figure it out. Now, the other stores that are in Buffalo, you said they have 19 stores. I mean, obviously they chose not, they could have gone with these workers. They affirmatively chose not to. Is that the way it worked? Well, that's right. The, the way the NLRB set this up is each store has to file a petition and say they, wanna, they want to petition to join a union. Only three stores uh, did in this particular vote. You know, there are three others uh, in the Buffalo region that have filed. But you think about the other stores. There's 20 stores in that market. And uh, we think all partners should have a voice simply because they trade shifts and they work across stores. It just creates a level of uncertainty uh, you know, to have this done on a store by store basis. But I just wonder, Kevin, whether this is the watershed and I'm going to start reading about unionization in many, many cities uh, of, of my Starbucks. Well, Jim, I think it's fair to say, you know, there's a national dialogue uh, underway on this topic. You look at this, uh, you know, the, the, what's unfolding across society today. When right. you look at the five million Americans that have not reentered the workforce, inflation, you know, discussions around income inequality, all of these things are, are sort of weighing on society. And we're a microcosm of society. You know, I, I expect there may be a handful of other stores, but I, I really believe when I, I talked to, you know, over 7,500 of our store managers just in the last two days, and there's strong support for the heritage and the history of Starbucks and the fact that we are a partner-centric company. And I believe our Green Apron partners are going to stand up. If they're given a voice, you know, we're, we're going to put our partners first and we're going to continue to operate the way we have for, for decades. All right. Look, it's going to be a continual story because, like you said, everything has changed. I never thought I'd ever see this day, frankly. Uh, Kevin Johnson, president and CEO of Starbucks. Good to see you on the show again, sir. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Boy, things have changed. I mean, I always knew this is the place that you work because they had the better breaks. But you know what? America is an evolving place. And if the workers in Buffalo with these three stores are unhappy, we must respect the process. That's the right thing to do. Process has always helped the workers in this when it comes to this particular process. I believe. Others don't, but I think it does. May have money's back in. Coming up. These two companies are teaming up to keep drivers safe with the next generation of connected cars. Together, can Ford and Salesforce be the engine to power your portfolio? Kramer's got both CEOs next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with a smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. 
you can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This morning, we got a surprising and terrific announcement from two of our favorite companies. Ford's launching a new software-as-a-service tool that will help tradespeople schedule field appointments, send invoices, manage their own customer relationships on Salesforce.com's cloud platform. I think it's a pretty interesting move. Remember, Ford's got a gigantic big uh, commercial vehicle business and services business. The F-150 and Ford's commercial vans are beloved by small businesses. And those same small businesses can't always get good productivity software because it's all built for much larger enterprises. So let's take a closer look with Jim Farley, the president and CEO of Ford Motor, and Mark Benioff, the founder, chairman, and co-CEO of Salesforce. Gentlemen, welcome back to Mad Money. <laughs> Great to see you, Jim. Thank you. All right, Jim Farley, we're going to start. Uh, why does a small business person need this? Why can't they keep track of everything themselves? And uh, is that so overwhelming? It is. Uh, only about 10% of the million small business owners that drive our vehicles feel like the enterprise solution they have works for them. They're running their business from their van or their Super Duty. Uh, they have all the invoices in their sun visor, and they're overwhelmed uh, you know, they're really underserved customers. So this is a big deal for them to get more professional in their back office. It allows them to bid more, make a lot more money, and Salesforce and Ford are coming together to do it. Well, Jimmy, is it all on your mobile? I mean, for, it's the $39. I know it's free for us, $39 a month. Does it operate everything on their mobile so they don't really have to have a lot of other stuff in, in their truck? Correct. But it also will we'll integrate into their truck as well, which, which will be nice for some of them. You know, if, you, if I were to take you into their office on wheels, there'd be sticky notes everywhere. You know, this is really a big deal for them to organize the back office, especially now with COVID. They're so much busier than they were. We think that the addressable market, you know, is going to double over the next couple of years for them with all the how busy they are. So it's a it's a really big growth opportunity for us. All right. So, Mark, uh, when I think of digitization, I think about every industry other than autos, other than trucks. How did this work out? Because I think that this is probably small business needs this more than pretty much anybody. <laughs> You're right, Jim. Small business does need this. Maybe more than anyone, you're 100% right. And I'll tell you, Jim, this is really the beginning of a vision for the Ford Cloud. And the Ford Cloud is exciting because you do have incredible businesses. You know, my contractor has a Ford and he's doing a little remodel on my house right now. It's probably happening for a lot of Americans. And uh, he doesn't have software tools to help him run his business. And this new visor technology, well, this is going to give him the ability to be successful in a whole new way to keep track of his key data about that project, but also connect with Ford and have a connected relationship between his incredible Ford product that shows up at my house every day and uh, Jim's incredible company. So Jim, let's talk about the loyalty factor. First of all, have the uh, stores bought in? I don't necessarily, I mean, I have Ford, I, I'm not sure that, uh, that necessarily the stores is wired or, or thinking about these kinds of things. And second, when you get in, will people be asking for this or is it just be saying kind of like XM radio, you ought to get this? How does it fit into the day-to-day sale of an F-150? 
Now, I think it's on us to present the facts to our customers and it'll be a direct relationship. You know, they'll have questions for our store owners, but this is really about Ford selling these cloud services, as Mark said, to the customer direct and, and having, you know, and presenting the opportunity for the customer. This is not, they're underserved. So it's on us to be able to present this and share with them, with Salesforce, the opportunity that they don't even know they're missing right now. Uh, it's a big opportunity, but it's, it's going to be a heavy lift for us. We've been used to selling vehicles. Now we have to sell a cloud. All right. So, Mark, when you move into industries that have typically not been digitized, how difficult is, is it for people to realize the savings? Well, when Jim says he's, his customers are underserved, that's a code word for this is a tremendous revenue opportunity for him, for his B2B customers and uh like my contractor or my landscaper or my painter, all who have Ford trucks and who all need services from Ford. And this is a great opportunity to make sure that, you know, you just don't show up in the garage one morning and your truck doesn't turn over. That, that's a lost day of work. Ford gives you the ability to have a 24-7 experience, and that's going to be more revenue to those small businesses. That's critical. And number two, this is the beginning of a B2C vision. You know, Jim, I've got a Mach-E. I think it's absolutely one of the greatest electric vehicles I've ever driven. And this is the beginning of connecting with Ford in a whole new way. I am super excited. All right. So, Jim, you've got, uh, I think, what could be a windfall coming with Rivian. Would, would you take that money and perhaps make it so that you could do a new battery plant, do a lot of EV, do, the, do this uh, software service in Ford, maybe create a new Ford within a Ford? Yeah, good question. I would say right now our opportunities to scale our bed business. We want to be number two overall, and I'm happy now today, we want to be number one in battery electric commercial vehicles. It's the heart of our profitability. And as Mark said, this is a, hot, a, a really big growth opportunity to take our battery electric vehicles, create in commercial, create a cloud, but we have to scale the production. The F-150 Lightning, the E-Transit are now uh, launching as we speak. And we have the opportunity to be the biggest, the biggest commercial vehicle, digital company with a great cloud service for our commercial customers. That's what we're going for. All right, so I, I know that you do, uh, Mark, a lot of work with, uh, with Home Depot. Can I envision a world where I literally, I get an order, uh, I go to my to my uh, cloud business, and I place it right with Home Depot. I pick it up at Home Depot, and then I go right to the customer. Is that what this is envisioned? Well, you remember that's exactly what we did with Home Depot is that we helped increase same-store sales uh, with uh, not only Frank Blake, but also Craig Manier, this idea that these same professionals were showing up at these uh, Home Depot stores, and they were able to increase revenues by dramatically increasing the relationships with these professionals. And it turned out, you know, I didn't even realize myself, Jim, that Home Depot was an incredible B2B company and B2C company. Well, guess who else is? Jim Farley and Ford. They are an incredible B2B company and B2C company. And when can you can segment and focus on these different verticals, provide cloud services to them, subscriptions. Well, this gives you the ability to build these huge business, billion dollar businesses. I mean, that's what I've done at Salesforce. And I think Jim should do that, too. Well, I think you, well Jim, the $39 a month, is that, is, is that the important stream or is the important stream come from loyalty after you get them uh, doing something that they've never done before? It's both, but it's well, loyalty. I mean, right now, 
Yeah, right now, loyalty is the most important move for us. That's why we produced, that's why we created Ford Pro. That's why we're working with Mark and his company. Yes, there are a lot of great revenue opportunities for this, but this is about customers staying with Ford all day long, not just when they buy their vehicle. So, Jim, we know that the F-150, you got a, a list of for 200,000 people already signed up. I mean, how many can you really make next year? I mean, are you overselling? <laughs> Uh, well, we are right now. I mean, our capacity is about half of what the demand is, but I got to tell you, and Ford's done this in the past. Will or run, we, we, we figure out how to break constraints. That's what we do. And uh, we have a dedicated team right now just doing one thing, finding a way to double our capacity by finding batteries, whatever it takes to double our capacity of lightning. And uh, we'll see what the government does. You know, with support from the federal government, the demand will be even higher. So uh, at $40,000, this Lightning is a lot of success. As Mark said, the Mach-E, the demand is about twice our production rate. That's why we're committing in the next 24 months to get to 600,000 units of capacity, but it's going to take a lot of work by our team. That'll be extraordinary. And you know we're going to talk about that Thursday on our investment call because that's the future for you. Mark, two iconic companies I, you know I love getting together to do this for small business. Ever dream of this 10 years ago? Jim, this is the best of both worlds. You're 100% right. And I'll tell you, when Jim Farley says he's got one of the very best electric cars in the world, the Mach-E, he's right. I've driven them all. This car is a rip-roaring, amazing success. I have the GT, the newest one. It's incredible. Connecting it to the Ford Cloud, connecting those new next-generation Lightning 150s. Wow. I mean, this is an incredible vision for the future of Ford. I couldn't be more excited. Well, I want to thank both of you. Uh, again, Jim's going to be speaking uh, with me at our Investment Club meeting on Thursday. Uh, these are the kinds of things that I've now come to expect from both of these companies, which are just real brainstorms to help the small business person who is completely overwhelmed. Although that's good. We want them to make even more money. Jim Farley, CEO of Ford. Mark Benioff, founder, chairman, co-CEO of Salesforce in a tie. I hope that doesn't mean anything. Maybe that means that when you get together with Ford, you better be more sartorially correct. Mark, thank you so much, gentlemen. Man, money's I'm back in into New the York, Jim. It means I'm in New York. Ties are New York. That's oh, how I got you, know you. All right. Thank you. Stay with Kramer. Coming up. From the phone in your pocket to the public services we use, cybersecurity is a must. Fresh off earnings, can this company help make your portfolio a safe place to invest? Find out next. Last night, I told you that there was a possibility that the beaten down cloud software stocks could already be close to a bottom. Well, I was far from certain. And today we saw some incredible moves here. Take Sentinel One, the ultra fast growing but deeply unprofitable cybersecurity company. Here's a stock that had lost 43% of its value from its peak on November 12th through yesterday's close. But today, Sentinel One jumped more than 13% in anticipation of the company's earnings. Sure enough, when they reported at the close, the numbers were incredible. Accelerating sales up 128% a year over year, smaller than expected loss. Plus, Magic gave you impressive guidance for the next quarter. While I don't know if today's rebound is staying power because the whole market's kind of let's say, nutty here. And the company's shares are down a bit after hours, perhaps because of the upcoming IPO lockup expiration. We will cover that. These results make me feel a lot more confident about the company's long-term prospects. Don't take it from me. Let's go dig deeper. Let's go with Tomer Weingarten. He's the co-founder and CEO of Sentinel One. To learn more about the quarter, Mr. Weingarten, welcome back to Mad Money. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jim. Okay, last time we talked, you said that you might have some big uh, marquee names coming on. I am seeing companies like Samsung, Estee Lauder, Cisco, the uh, food service kind, Aston Martin, Norfolk Southern. Are all these companies afraid of being hacked? What is the urgency here? Yeah, I mean, look, what we do is is an absolute absolute criticality right now. You know, the software that we sell is designed to keep these folks in business. Um, and that's kind of what you're seeing right now in the market. There's a gross understanding that cybersecurity is this, you know, very much of a needed pillar to actually keep your business running. And that's exactly what we're selling into the market. We have offerings from, you know, classic endpoint security all the way to cloud security and IoT security. So we also play in varying cams and we try and really secure every attack surface in the enterprise. All right. So now, you know, we've had Palo Alto on. They do a terrific job. We had CrowdStrike on last week. This has now become what I regard as a crowded field. How does Sentinel One distinguish itself from these other companies? Yeah, you know, first and foremost, it's technology, and we we still win on on merit, on our ability to bring innovation into the market. Our win rates have been incredibly stable for the past, you know, call it three or four quarters, um, right around 70% across incumbents and next generation vendors alike. Um, You know, we see this market as something that will almost always be competitive. And by the way, the competitive set changes from endpoint to cloud. It's not always the same competitors, but all in all, we really like our win rates, really like our ability to go into POCs, technical POCs, and win against the competition. That has been sustained over time. Our customers are incredibly happy, so we're operating at a 97% gross retention rate. Um, we just hit a record in net retention rate, about 130%. So all in all, you know, it seems like we, um, we really like our ability to compete in this market. Um, you know, and, and all in all, it's about the technology. It's about how good it is. Um, I, I wouldn't give too much weight into one or two or any other examples. Well, but wait a second. We had CrowdStrike last week saying that Microsoft wasn't doing that. Well, they're taking business from, uh, from Microsoft. If you're taking business from CrowdStrike, which I understand you have it with a major retailer, a fintech company, and an American equipment manufacturer, I want to know why that is and how you did it. Did you do it on price, superior product? What kind of thing did you offer these guys that you got them from a very good company, CrowdStrike? Yeah, but, and, and I'll just, I just want to really say, I mean, this is a huge market that we're all addressing, so um, there's, there's plenty of room. I think that, once again, every one example sometimes paints a very different picture. I don't want to mislead anybody, but yes, these displacements are happening. Um, you know, these companies that you mentioned, they ripped out CrowdStrike 18 months prior to renewal, you know, citing inability to actually deploy the product, inability to have feature parity across operating systems, um, and overall dissatisfaction with support. Um, so you, you kind of see some customers really opting to go um, a different way when they're unable to deploy, unable to reach, um, you know, the, the outcome that they intended to reach with one or other, you know, vendor. Um, and, and that's an opportunity in the market as well. Alongside a lot of these competitive displacements, we also find the incumbent antivirus vendors still running in these estates. I think that's very much, you know, of a usual thing for companies like CrowdStrike, where they still run side by side with these incumbent vendors. Uh, with us, when, with one fell swoop, you actually remove both next-gen and the incumbent vendor. And, and again, it's not the vast majority of business that we do. Obviously, again, the market is completely open, but these will happen anecdotally. Well, I, I should go back to George at CrowdStrike, because if, if he says, well, listen, I've won a lot versus you, you know I'm going to have to bring that up too, uh, uh, Tomer. I have, not, I have not done that work. I found this out after the close. Now, I want people to understand the market's down a lot. Your stock peaked in November. 
There are 143 million shares by my account that could be available on Thursday. So I want people to understand there are there there you do have lockups expiring. So if they go in and they're very excited about buying, perhaps it would be better to wait for the expiration. Correct. I think, you know, we, we had the initial lockup actually expiring, um, you know, last quarter, right after last quarter. Um, and, and, you know, that unlocked about 40 million dollars, 40 million shares. Um, you know, we haven't seen a lot of it, you know, you know, go into the market. But all in all, yes, I mean, lockup is expiring and um, we'll see what the volume would be. Now, we, uh, last thing, we've been focused on, I've got this investment club, and I'm trying to figure out what's going to work best in 2022. And I'm trying to wean myself off of the incredible fast growth and go more toward profitability. But when I see your level of growth, it's hard to not love it. I mean, you're accelerating revenue growth rather remarkably. How is that possible? Um, you know, it, it's all come down. It all comes down to uh, growth vectors, and you know, we, we got so many of them. The company plays in four different TAMs today, probably an aggregate of a hundred billion dollar, you know, joint TAM opportunity, and we're growing in each and every one of them. So our emerging products are actually accelerating faster than the macro business. We got a highly scaled go-to market that you know strategically is different than some of our competitors. And that just drives growth in every part of the market that we play in. And, and we don't think that's going to change anytime soon. We feel like our ability to, to reach our customers with a fully fledged cloud native platform that can deliver more and more capabilities over time is something that's not going to go away. I think you've seen us this quarter also expand on margin and trim right. down losses. So all in all, you know, we, we feel like we can do it all. No, it was a great quarter. It was truly a great quarter. Uh, Tomer Weingarten, you know, you're always welcome on the show. It's good to see you for, uh, again. Uh, wow. Just a great last three months. Co-founder and CEO of Sentinel One. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Thank you for the time. This is a hard business. The reason it's so hard is, you know, here you go. I'm working on this investment club, and I'm thinking no more liking of companies that have high growth. And then we get growth like this, and we get an expiration lockup on Thursday. Maybe you get it at even more of a discount. I don't know. These are hard decisions to make. May have money's back yet for the break. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. I've been watching since 2007. I'm such a big fan. Oh, thank you so much, Mike. Thank you. What's up? You got it. You got it. Well, listen, my question is for SoFi stock. It seems like such a tremendous dip-buying opportunity at the current price. Well, after I have being to tell you, Jimmy Chill says I agree with you. Anthony Yoda's doing a very good job there. Frankly, they did a secondary that just didn't. Uh, it crushed the stock. Uh, I, you know, the stock popped. People felt like that they got uh, hurt by it when the, when the secondary occurred. And now I think it's bottom. Let's go to Jonathan in Texas. Jonathan. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, booyah right back at you. What's going on? All right, then. So I'm looking at this outdoor stock that has solid fundamentals. Uh-huh. But the stock price seems to be moving in the opposite direction. Their earnings report is due this Thursday after market close. I'm looking for your opinion on ticker symbol A-O-U-T, American. Okay, well, I know it's a it's a gunplay, but they've got all these other brands that we really like. I think they're all kind of an amalgam of brands. I don't know. I, I don't think it's that bad a story down here. I, I, I don't I don't like to speculate ahead of the quarter, but 
They, they got a lot of good brands. Let's go to Ken in Georgia, please. Ken. Joe, man, how's it going? It's going well. How about you? Doing pretty good, except for the fact that your boy Matt, Matthew Boss uh, has downgraded Ollie's and has put me in the house well, of pain. Do you think I, I, it's look, down I, enough? I, you know, this is a tough one because we know that that last quarter was quite weak. And, uh, you know, Matt's reacting, I believe, I've not spoken to him about Ollie's, to what was a quarter that was not up to snuff with many other companies having great quarters. For instance, we had American Eagle Outfitters, which I own for my Chapel Trust. We talked about it on Thursday. They had a great talk today with a closing bell. Uh, and uh, nobody seemed to care about that one. So this is a very tough market. If it's good, it doesn't go up. And if it's bad, look out. Bob in Florida. Bob. Hey, Jim. I love your show, and I love uh, all the information you give to all of us. Thank you. Um, thank I have you. a question about Illumina, I-L-M-N. I, you know, you know, look, Illumina is a fantastic company. I'm not just saying that because... Uh, we know that Dr. Gottlieb's on the board. Illumina's a winner. They made a fantastic acquisition. They are gene sequencer par excellence. I would buy the stock. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. For decades, employers have had the upper hand over labor. If you're under 40, unions have been on the run for your entire life. Now, though, that's all changed. Suddenly, organized labor has some power again. It's absolutely stunning. How did it happen? Sure, some of it's COVID. But even before the pandemic, former President Trump cracked down on immigration. And regardless of where you stand on that hot-button issue, fewer immigrants means fewer people competing for jobs, especially lower-paid service jobs. That gives workers much more bargaining power. Second, the gig economy has allowed workers to make a lot of money on the side. For example, Uber drivers can make more money than whatever they were doing beforehand, unless they were cab drivers, in which case they're probably doing worse. But on the whole, they give workers more ways to make money, which also translates into more bargaining power. Third, perhaps most important, COVID has dramatically shrunk the workforce, both because we've got nearly 800,000 dead, but also because millions more have stopped working. In some cases, it's because they're immunocompromised and it's not safe. In some cases, it's because people took their checks from the government and used them to start their own business. You can see it from all the people selling their goods using Etsy or Shopify, millions of them. In some cases, parents have had to quit their jobs to watch their kids who are stuck at home. Regardless, again, fewer workers gives the remaining ones more leverage. That's really what's going on. Finally, last year we saw the election of the most pro-union president in decades. President Biden openly champions the labor movement, hence his insistence on giving $12,500 subsidies to buyers of electric vehicles made by union labor. Ooh, terrific for GM and Ford, awful for non-unionized Tesla. No wonder Elon Musk trying so hard to kill that legislation. It's a tacit admission that organized labor is making a comeback. We saw that earlier today when we spoke to Kevin Johnson, CEO of Starbucks, defending his company's status as a great place to work, one that doesn't need unions because they offer all sorts of perks to their employees, including salaries, way above minimum wage, and even a college education. But that hasn't stopped the unionization drive at some of their stores in Buffalo, New York. The NLRB just stopped the last-minute procedural appeal by Starbucks today. And I can't blame anyone for trying to negotiate a better deal for themselves. I am sure the unions figure if they can beat Starbucks with the terrific benefits relative to others, well, they can beat anybody. It is a great time to join a union strike for higher wages. Unlike a few years ago, there's nobody to replace you if you get fired. As someone who once led a wildcat strike against both the union and the employer at Veterans Stadium back in 1972 in Philly, I know that someone could have easily and did fill in for me that actual baseball game that I struck. Yeah, sobering. I'm glad I got my job back. But that's no longer the case. When you see restaurants cutting down the hours they're open, you know that workers have power again, even when they're 
acting without any kind of union affiliation. And we got strikes all over the country. Workers at a Kellogg plant have been on strike for two months, and they just shot down management's latest offer. A few weeks ago, Deere capitulated to the UAW, United Auto Workers, after an extended strike. Union got pretty much everything they wanted. Of course, business can fight back in some ways. Management's got software. Hey, how about the software made by UiPath that can let them replace white-collar workers by automating repetitive tasks? The banks have certainly embraced mobile operations so they can close branches, lay off their tellers. How about the baristas? Domino's is keeping labor costs down by automating a huge percentage of order taking. I think they they could easily extend to in-store order flow. Who needs people when an avatar powered by NVIDIA's chips can take your order in 28 languages and get it right far more often than a human? Same goes for the drive through windows. I want an avatar. Finally, there's the specter of self-driving cars and trucks. There's a reason Intel's mobile division, the autonomous driving business we talked about earlier, might command a $50 billion valuation after the spinoff. We don't have enough delivery workers and drivers. While many states and cities will try to slow this down because of safety concerns, sooner or later the machines will win because they don't get drunk and they don't get tired. All that said, for the moment, labor is clearly winning. And you know what? It may actually be long overdue. When you adjust for inflation, average wages have been stagnant for decades before the pandemic, and that's not sustainable. Sure, people are paid what they're worth. Some companies may go under. Many more won't be able to expand as aggressively. It's certainly not good for the stock market in the short run. But, man, honestly, who wants to live in a country with a hollowed-out middle class, which is really the backbone of so much of our country's strength? Employers have been on top for most of my life. Maybe it's labor's turn to win. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.